morning. We welcome you to Alger Assembly of God. We welcome you back to our series and our study entitled DNA, Who We Are. It's exploring who we are as a church and, and a little bit of kind of what makes Alger Assembly of God tick. And so week after week, we've been looking at our vision statement. And so I want you to read this with me more than just kind of hearing it, more than just kind of seeing it on the screen. Let's get that into our minds and into our hearts. We, oh, let me ask you this. Help me out and, and repeat it with me. Okay. I, I was going to launch into it and I thought I might be the only one saying it. So help me out. Are you ready? We are committed to helping people belong, believe, become, and build his. All right. So we've repeated that. We've shared that week in and week out, looking at what, what are the, the main points of us as a church. We've looked at some core values, what, what's distinctive, what's important inside and out of the church. And we've also spent some time in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to invite you to turn back towards that passage of Scripture, beginning in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We've looked at some of the efforts of the early church. What are some of the purposes and strategies as we see this church form? How were they living for the Lord? We've looked at the fact that they were connecting, connecting to God and connecting one to another. They were growing, growing spiritually as they devoted themselves to the teaching and preaching of the word. So as you're turning there, Acts chapter 2, I, I did uh, hear about a little, little boy on his way home from church. You know, when, when little boys and girls hear stories, sometimes they interpret it in their own ways. So little boy on his way home from church asked his mother, he said, is it true, mommy, that we are made of dust? And the mother answered, why, yes, sweetie, she said. And the boy said, well, do we go back to dust again when we die? And she said, well, yes, dear. The little boy's eyes got wide with excitement. He said, wow, when I said my prayers last night and I looked under the bed, I found someone who was either coming or going. See, he must have had quite a bit of dust underneath that bed, coming or going, not sure which. Hopefully by now you're at Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, this passage of Scripture. It describes a lot of what the early church was about. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we've seen that they were connecting to God and to one another. They were, well, they were growing in their faith. But what we see as well is that they're putting their time and their talents, their treasure, their efforts together to do something powerful for the Lord. The question is this, what do we do with our life for God after we surrender our life to God? 
What do we do for God after we surrender to God? Some might call it ministry. Some might call it service, that we are serving others. But here's the fact. You and I were not created to sit but created to serve. And what we see in the early church is that they were getting involved in being a blessing one to another. So the concept of serving, let's take a look at a few principles regarding that this morning. First of all, understand that no one can do everything. Now, in the early church, what we're not seeing is one person doing everything, This was the body of Christ. This was the early church working together and they're connecting, working together as they were growing, working together and serving, being a blessing one to another. Now, this is Acts chapter 2. If you're in the physical Bible, flip forward just a, a few pages. If you're on your tablet or your phone, you've got the Bible app. You might have to kind of swipe a few times. But find your way to Acts chapter 6. So just a few chapters after, as we're seeing the early church at work and in progress, taking a look at Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, it reads like this. It says, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, it says, the Grecian Jews complained. The Grecian Jews amongst them were murmuring and complaining against the Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group and they chose Stephen, a man of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Basically, what we're seeing is there was an issue early on in the church, and if it wasn't dealt with, it could have ripped some things apart. What was the problem? It says that the Hellenistic widows were being overlooked in place of the Hebraic widows. And so you might be listening and hearing Hebraic and Hellenistic. What all does that mean? Glad you asked. See, the problem is, well, it's good news and bad news. How many of you like when there's good news and bad news? The good news is that the church was growing. We see that here in chapter 6. We saw it in chapter 2, right? The word of God was going forth and People were being added to the church. That's good news. The church was growing, so more and more people were turning their hearts and their attention towards Jesus. The bad news was, as things were growing, more and more needed to be done. So there were widows that they were seeking to take care of. 
Well, as more and more people would turn their lives to Jesus, come and and surrender to him, now there's more and more widows to try to take care of. And it seemed like one group of widows was being taken care of and another was being overlooked. Well, what do we have? We've got the Hebraic widows. Those are the Jewish Christian converts who spoke Hebrew. Born and raised in Israel, they knew the culture, they knew the customs of the synagogue, they knew kind of the stuff perhaps from the Old Testament, and they brought a lot of that culture with them. Then on the other side, you've got the Hellenistic Jews. They spoke Greek. Born and raised outside of Israel, different culture. No doubt looked, sounded, acted different from the Hebrew-speaking Jewish Christians. So it seems like the Hebraic Jews were being taken care of. The Hellenistic Jews were not. Now, consciously or unconsciously, maybe it was a little bit of hometown preference. People that you knew, people that were kind of born and raised in Judaism and as a convert, they, they had all of that background in history, and some of these other individuals did not. So whether it was intentional or unintentional, one group was being blessed, the other was not. How many of you know when an issue like that takes place, it needs to be dealt with delicately? If you've been around, if you've been a Christian a while, if you've heard about and seen different things, churches can split over less. Churches can split over the kind of music that's being sung. Churches can split over the colors in the sanctuary. Churches have issues based on things. And so when one set of widows is being taken care of and another set of widows is not, if that issue is left unaddressed, boy, things could get kind of hairy. Now, there's a lot of options. If this was today's day and culture, uh, maybe, maybe somebody would form a task force, right? So we're going to select some different people, we're going to investigate, and we'll have a task force to bring a report. Sometimes the task force is given and the report is issued simply to say we're doing something. That never happens in politics, does it? Task forces. There's an issue at hand, so we're going to create a task force. We're going to investigate the issue. We're going to bring you a report. Sometimes that that ends up in nothing really being done, but a whole lot being studied. Now, they didn't do that here in the book of Acts. They could have. Certainly, on the spiritual end, they could have said, hey, let's, let's just get people to pray. How many of you know prayer is good? But if we just pray and pray and pray and pray and not do anything, well, then God, you know, God has been sought, but the problem is still there. They they could have gotten everybody together and, and had a business meeting. There's a lot of things they could have done. And yet, what did they do as we read through this passage in Acts chapter six? What they're recognizing is we can't do it all. God's word and and, you know, the message is going forward and people are responding but we can't meet everybody's needs. We we need some help. So what did they do? First of all, they held on to the priorities. Verse 2 says, we can't neglect the ministry of the word and of prayer. 
We need to meet needs, but we certainly want to make sure that we're teaching and preaching and praying. And so we've got to hold on to the priorities, but let's, let's plan for and let's find the right people then for the right task. The next few verses, these individuals that were selected, these were Greek men, Greek individuals that they were selecting to help out with the Hellenistic or Greek-speaking Jewish widows. How many of you know peoples are different? Cultures are different. Backgrounds are different. And so you've got individuals who are widows who share that commonality, yet there's some other things that are very different from them. True? So you've got Hebraic widows, they're widows, but their background in history is much different from this other set of widows. And so whether that's geography, whether that's culture, whether that's area, whether that's background. So I said, we're going to select these individuals who are able to connect with and minister to these widows. They're utilizing the right people for the right tasks. Then it says they commission and they release them into ministry. It's pretty. They, they call them, they lay their hands upon them, and they release them to make sure this need is being met. So early on in the early church, they're saying, we can't do everything. It wasn't one person, but even this, this group of individuals saying, we can't do it all. What was the result? It says that the word of God spread. Some similar language from Acts chapter 2. The word of God spread and people were added to the church. And the reality is, as you look back in Acts chapter 2 or Acts chapter 6, no one person, no small group can do everything. Even in a church, in a smaller rural church of Alger Assembly of God, many individuals, many workers, that word willing came up early. Many willing people are needed to help and to serve. You know, one thing I don't know that you have ever heard a pastor say in any church is this. We have too many workers. Stop. You know what else has probably never been said by a pastor? We have too much money. Don't give in the offering. Whether it's the giving of resources or the giving of time and talents and Efforts, there's always a need for willing individuals. And so what we're seeing here in Acts chapter 6, which is not very far off from where we began in Acts chapter 2, no one can do everything. Secondly, understand that everyone can do something. No one can do everything. Not even the apostles in the early church. I mean, you want to talk about some of the spiritual heroes of the church? Well, certainly they could. They couldn't do everything, but everyone certainly can do something. That's what we saw in Acts chapter 2. They were all pitching in. They were all working. It wasn't just one or two or a handful. They were all working and giving and serving and ministering together. Here's what 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administrating and administering God's grace in its various forms. 
One powerful little verse of Scripture, just to, to break it down with the thoughts, but as we read that, it encourages us. Everyone has a gift. How many of you love gifts? You love to open gifts. Yeah, You've got a gift. I feel like Oprah. You got a gift. 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 The Word of God says everyone has a gift. Who? Each one. Everyone. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 says, God gives gifts to each one as he determines. The reality is you're gifted. There's some giftings and interests and talents and abilities and backgrounds and history that you have, passions, things that are you know, heavy upon your heart, and it might be a little different from somebody else. You're gifted. Now, sometimes we think we've got to have certain gifts or certain talents to be able to be used by God. We'll look around and we'll say, I can't do what he can or she can. And it can be easy to look around, even in a church like Alger Assembly of God, you might look and say, well, I can't teach like he or she. I can't sing like he or she. I can't play an instrument like he or she. And we look at what we can't do without understanding what we can, what God has called us or gifted us. Maybe you can't do what he or she can, but maybe God's placed some interests and abilities, passions and desires in you that are different from he or she. So many times we're comparing, we're saying, I'm not like this person or that person. We're not needing to be like somebody else. We can be who we are. We can do something. God's gifted us to be able to do something. And the encouragement is, not only are we gifted, but we're instructed to be able to use our gifts. Each one should use the gift they've received. When you receive a gift, you are to use it. There's not an exception as to why we kind of hold on, cultivate, just look at it and say, wow, this is a great gift. Nothing excites a giver more than their gift being used. Have you given a gift to a child, to a friend, you know, whether it's this really fancy and expensive gift you've saved up for or whether it's just really meaningful because you know that they love this or they love that. And so you just can't wait for them to open it. So you give them a gift and they go, oh, yeah, that's nice. They put it back in the box, close the box, and they shove it under the bed along with the dust of that person coming or going. Not so exciting for you as a giver as when you give a gift and like, oh, man, and they, a piece of clothing, they, they put that article of clothing on immediately. They begin to use that toy or that piece of electronics immediately, right? I mean, when you've received a gift, whether it's from your kids, you, you open it up. Sometimes you're not sure what it is, something they do in school or in Sunday school, right? But whatever it is, if it's a piece of clothing, you wear it. If it's cologne or body spray, you spray it at least once. I mean, you use what has been given. 
Same thing with you and I in the body of Christ. God gives gifts, and we are to use the gifts. When we don't, it's almost like it's a slap in the face of the giver. As if we're saying, well, God, thank you for blessing and creating me exactly as I am. Thanks, but no thanks. I'll just sit on these gifts. I'll sit on the interests and abilities and passions and desires, and I'll, I'll just kind of hang out over here, God. We've got a gift, and we are to use them. But understand, they're, they're different gifts. Everybody take a look around. Not only do you look different than the other people in this congregation, but more than likely you've been gifted differently. There might be some similar giftings. There's some multiple people who can sing, multiple people who can play an instrument or who have learned an instrument, multiple people who teach or assist, multiple people who do this or do that. But the combination of gifts is probably going to be a little different in each one. Your backgrounds and passions and desires and the heart that you have for things is going to make you unique from the person next to you. It says, use whatever gift you've received. God's gifted you in a particular way. And what he's gifted you might look a little different than how he's gifted you. We've got different gifts. He says, use whatever gift he has received. The gifts are received, they're not achieved. We don't say, man, I am awesome. I have earned my way up to the... This is not like a video game where you earn so many little coins or you collect enough of these things and you turn them in. God gifts and God blesses and God gives some of those interests. And, and yes, sometimes over time we grow or learn or take lessons for certain types of giftings and abilities but God is blessing. We're receiving those gifts. What's the, what's the purpose of them? He says, you use whatever gift you've received to serve others. The gifts that we've been blessed with, are they to impress one another? No, they're to serve one another. So whether it's speaking, teaching, instrument, music, helping, serving. It's not to say, look how awesome I am in this gift God's given. It's simply to be a blessing to others. We can do that in the church, outside of the church, in our homes, in our families, in our workplaces. But the goal is to bless others. And we see, we're to oversee and manage what we've been given. That last phrase says that we're faithfully administering God's grace. Faithfully administering, faithfully overseeing, faithfully stewarding. In other words, I didn't come up with this. God has blessed. God has given gifts and talents and abilities. God's blessed. I'm simply to oversee, to manage, to steward what he has given me. So I'm to put it into practice. So you take a look around. Some might have more, some might have less. Some might have similar, some might have different. But God has blessed each and every individual. No one can do absolutely everything. 
But for certain, everyone can do something. Finally, this morning, understand that your something, whatever that is, is significant. Sometimes the thought is, well, I can't do what somebody else does. Or what I would like to do, someone else is already doing it, so maybe I can't. Understand that whatever it is, that gifting, that talent, that ability, that interest, that blessing of God, whatever that is, it is significant. It's vital. It's needed in the body of Christ, in the local church, and in the communities. It's not just serving one another in the church, but in our communities. It's significant. I like this verse of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Paul writes, it's a a fairly short verse, but he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. In other words, every individual, everyone's something is needed and significant. Paul said, hey, I planted, but Apollos came and he watered. Let me just ask you something. This is very technical. Will a plant grow if the seed isn't first planted? It needs to be planted, right? But if you plant the seed and there's no water or sunlight or fertilizer, if that seed's in the ground but has none of those other things, will it grow? Maybe, maybe sickly, maybe it starts a little bit. What do you really need? All of it. You need that seed planted. You need some good soil. Fertilizer helps. Sunlight helps. Rain helps. Watering it helps. How many of you have green thumbs? Not very. How many of you just have two thumbs? I mean, you need all of this, and so your something is significant. Paul's not saying, I am awesome because I plant, and I don't need anybody else. He's saying, I'm planting, I'm sharing, I'm proclaiming the word of God. So I planted, but Apollos watered. His part is necessary. His part is significant. So whatever part it is that you have to play, whatever characteristics and abilities and and backgrounds and giftings and talents, it's needed, it's necessary, it's significant, it's important in the body of Christ. Now, sometimes people look around and say, well, this is more important than this. Some gifts, some abilities maybe are a little bit more visible than others, but all are needed. All are needed. I'm on a microphone speaking each and every week. Our worship team is singing and playing every single week. Who you don't see are behind you and up in the balcony. Running some little wires and knobs. And if one button was pushed, you would not hear me if I'm muted. Or if certain things are not on the screen, it makes it harder for you to sing and to follow along. It might not be as visible. You're staring this way on a Sunday morning, but in the balcony are other individuals serving and very, very needed. So in the body of Christ, in the local church, in our communities, 
your gifts and your talents and your abilities, they're going to look a little different from the other individuals, but your something is needed. Paul was needed, and Apollos was needed. Both were complementary. They fit together. You and I, we are unique. You're something, whatever it is that God's gifted you with, it is unique. You look around, and you're probably thankful there's just one of each of us. But God's gifted us uniquely for a reason. Now, what happened? As Paul planted and Apollos watered, as they both did their part, it says, God. God gave the growth. Individuals were moving and living and acting upon the gifts and talents and abilities that God had called them to do. Now, if we're being honest, sometimes serving is not our natural inclination. It might be more natural to sit than to serve. It might be more natural to hope that we would be served than serve others. Sometimes the human part comes out. The encouragement is to serve. God wants to use you. He wants to use me to make a difference and an impact in lives. Are we given some different tasks? Yes. Are we uniquely gifted for it? Yes, but your part is important as your part. Again, we are in football season. doesn't matter what team you root for, high school, college, NFL. But chances are you've at least seen a football game. And you see that all of those individuals playing football, they look a little different. The individuals that are on the line, offensive and defensive linemen, they're a little taller heavier, stronger, because they're either trying to protect the quarterback or the running back, or they're trying to get at that person. So the ones on the line, they look a little different from the kicker and the punter, who is typically a little smaller and a little lighter, a little, a little more nimble. Their, their you know, legs can go up above their, their head without pulling a hamstring. But every single person on that football team is needed. If you've watched your team and you're yelling because the quarterback, you know, the, the guy with the ball who either hands it off or throws it, if he keeps getting tackled all the time, you're yelling at the line. You need the line to protect. You need a quarterback who can run or throw. You need a wide receiver who can actually catch a ball and not drop it. You need a running back who can hold on to the ball and maybe run through some of the holes. And then that kicker who doesn't do much other than kick every now and then, he becomes pretty important. Last week, there were a lot of NFL games won or lost because of a kicker. Probably the smallest guy on the team was the last seconds of a game, and if he makes it, this team wins. If he misses this team loses. Some of those kickers made them. Some of those kickers missed. There's a whole bunch of people on a football team. There's a whole bunch of people on every single sports team, and they are all needed. Their something is significant. In the body of Christ, your something is significant. 
Think about the description as, as you look throughout the word of God. There's all kinds of men and women that God has created and that God has used. Maybe you've seen this description that someone had put together based on all the people in the Bible. And this is just a handful. You might think, I don't have anything to give and, and I'm not like this person or that person. God can't use me. He can. He's gifted you to serve. Think about this. Someone wrote it like this. Abraham was too old. Jacob was a liar. Moses stuttered. Gideon was afraid. Rahab was a prostitute. David was too young. His armor didn't fit. Then he had an affair with a married man's wife, and then he murdered that man. Solomon was too rich. Jeremiah was depressed. Elijah was burned out. Naomi was a widow. Jonah ran from God. Hosea was married to a prostitute. Martha was a worrywart. Zacchaeus was too small. Lazarus was too dead. The disciples fell asleep praying. Peter denied Christ. Thomas doubted. John Mark was rejected by Paul. And Paul himself was Saul who was a murderer. And God used each and every one. They were different from each and every one. No one can do everything. Everyone can do something. And your something is significant. No matter who you are or what your past might be like, God can use you to serve others, whether in the local church, in the community, in your home, in your school, in your job, in your workplace, to serve, to bless others. What is your part? How has God gifted or blessed you? You might not be able to do everything, but you can do something and it's significant.